Listeners, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This is the, think about this, this is the Power of Three podcast. An occasional Doctor Who podcast that occasionally has three people talking about Doctor Who, but this week it's one of our occasional family tree episodes. That's one of the episodes where we talk about something that involves people who worked in Doctor Who in some kind of creative capacity. My name's David Steele. Joining me today are, well, SL Tom Harris. Say hello, Tom. Good morning, people. And that Prince Among Men is with us. Say hello, Kenny Smith. Films of the universe, please attend carefully. I am Kenny Smith. Here is now. Listeners, you're probably wondering what we're going to be talking about, unless it's in the episode description, in which case you probably already know. This week we are discussing one of my favourite films of all time for so many reasons. We're talking about the Hammer movie, Dracula AD 1972. Yesterday, Dracula was the most fearsome being the screen has ever seen. Today, tonight, you, you, you could be Dracula's next victim. Something new, yet as old as time. Come on, Johnny. A date with the devil. Are you ready? He's ready. He's waiting to freak you out, right out of this world. Died September the 18th, 1872. A hundred years ago to the day. You who witness it must swear before the name of the devil to keep it secret. Who knows about vampires, for God's sake? My grandfather died fighting a vampire. The most terrible, the most dangerous vampire of all time. The year is 1972. A leap year in horror. A vintage year for vampires. The time for the masters of horror to meet again. 20th century. Come to me, come Dracula! And the reason that we're talking about Dracula E.D. in 1972 is it was written by Don Hutton, or is it Houghton or Houghton, who wrote the, the Doctor Who stories. Houghton, thank you. I'll get it wrong again, I'm sure. Who wrote the Doctor Who stories Inferno and The Mind of Evil, John Pertwee's Doctor. And it also features Christopher Neem, who appeared in The Aborted Shadow, and it features movie doctor Peter Cushing, and also 
Michael Coles, who played, I think it was Ganatus in the first Peter Cushing Dalek movie. He plays um, Inspector Murray, which is quite a lot of fun. So, Hammer films. Gentlemen, have you seen a lot of Hammer films? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, a big fan of Hammer horror. They were the very first taste I ever got of horror movies back in the 1970s, when I was allowed to stay up late to watch a series of horror films late at, on a Friday night on STV, and the series was called Don't Watch Alone. And even, even now, that phrase chills me. It's just a brilliant name for a, a TV series. And the very first one, I used to crake at my mum, desperate to be able to watch these horror films. And she, she thought I was too young, but eventually she let me stay up because I was the only member of the family interested in keeping her company, and she didn't want to watch any of these films on her own. And I vividly remember the very first one she had, she allowed me to stay up was called The Witches, and it wasn't the Roald Dahl version. It was a 1960s Hammer horror yes. about uh, witchcraft in an English village, and it was genuinely disturbing, I seem to remember mm. at the time. Mm. Uh, and although Dracula in 1972 wasn't part of that series, the, you know, the original Dracula from 1957 or 56? 58, 58 was it? Uh, that was... So, yes, I love, I've loved Hammer ever since. Yep, absolutely the same. I've been a Hammer fan since I was very young. My mum and dad were big devotees of those films on original release, and I was encouraged to watch them in my youth because I think they quite enjoyed the fact that... I think one of the first ones I saw was The Devil Rides Out, which I think is quite possibly my favourite Hammer film of all time ever. And at the scene where the angel of death first appears. And yes, it looks tacky now when I watched it back quite recently. I was like, really, that scared me? But apparently I did a somersault over the back of the sofa. Doctor Who never made me scared in that way, but the angel of death and the devil rides out petrified me. And I could not watch the bit, particularly the scene where the, the mask flips up and you see the skull. And I blame the fact that probably because I went to Sunday school on that and the fact that that's what the angel of death was, I was terrified that... If I didn't um, behave myself and always tell the truth and be a good boy, then the angel of death would come and get me. But Fantastic. he didn't, because so I continue to misbehave and really? uh, just as bad as it now. But yes, love them. Particularly the the first couple of Dracula films are my favourites. And yeah, I've I'd like to think I've seen just about every Hammer film at least once. Although I don't recognise the witches at all. So now I have a new thing to go and find and listen to or to look up and watch. The witches are very good. Yeah, I, I have a full dedicated bookcase of all the Hammer movies. I've over hundreds. I think about 115, 116 the last time I counted. Some of which were region. I don't know if I reach one player anymore, but we found a way around that. Yeah, I'm a massive Hammer fan. I think the first ones I saw were off the back of a BBC documentary called The Studio of the Drip Blood in the mid-80s. Um, I think the very first one I saw was Dracula, Prince of Darkness. But anyway, so Can I just point out oh. after Kenny's uh, intervention there that if there are any young children listening to this podcast, we, we should make it clear that the Angel of Death is a very real thing and he will come and get you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Right, so yes, so Dracula is our focus. As Tom mentioned, the first Hammer Dracula was released in 1958 and following that, there were several sequels, including one where Dracula didn't appear, the excellent Brides of Dracula, several other movies, including Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Dracula, The Revenge of the Jedi, Dracula, Dalek's Invasion, Earth 2150 AD, <laughs> other non-Dracula vampire movies from Hammer, including Kiss of the Vampire, Vampire Lovers, and Twins of Evil. So it was a, quite a, a regular theme which they, they dwelt on. Now, what was sort of significant, especially about most of the Hammer, Dracula and Vampire movies was that they were set in the past. And the special thing about Dracula AD 1972 was that it essentially operates as a soft reboot for the Dracula franchise, bringing Dracula slap bang into then 
contemporary London. Now, but before all that, there is a really exciting opening sequence at the start of the film, which is set in Hyde Park in 1872, which sees the Van Helsing character played by Peter Cushing dispatching Dracula with a handy um, carriage wheel. Gents, what do you think of the opening sequence? I think it's the best part of the film. I am inclined to agree with that. It was definitely the part that got me grips and thought, yeah, this is great. But the thing that I thought clashed was I thought that for this opening sequence, well, it's great, the drama's fantastic, Dracula's dead, uh, spiked by a wheel. I just thought the music should perhaps in fitting with the, the older film set in the in, in ye olden times. I thought I enjoyed it other than that. I think it is quite stylized. There's no, there's none of the sort of electric guitar or anything that, you know, that we get later on. Tom, what do you think of the opening sequence? It's a great sequence. And I can't remember if they do that very famous trick that Hammer does of, my, my wife calls it Hammer Time when it's filmed basically during the day, but they, they turn down the contrast to yeah. convince us that it's nighttime and it never looks Thank particularly you. good. The worst uh, occasion of that was in uh, Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed, when basically everything was filmed in broad sunlight and they tried mm. to convince us that it was the middle of the night. No, it's a great sequence. My, my, I, I, I'm, I'm a nerdy critic of this one in that they wanted to make the pre-credit sequence uh, exactly 100 years before the events in 1972. So they ended up making it before if you're looking at Hammer Cannon, before Helsing, Van Helsing and Dracula ever met, which because yeah, the original yeah, Dracula was filmed and was set in the 1880s, yeah. uh, but this this is uh, 1872, so it kind of yeah. resets the whole canon, yes, which yeah, uh, annoys me slightly. It annoys me slightly. I just see that a soft reboot. I mean, the continuity through line is you've got Cushing and B back. But you're right. I mean, it's one of these things you can you can tie yourself up, up in knots of it. About it. I certainly did back in the day, but um, you know, treating it as a, a very modern sort of soft reboot, you know, similar to what they've done in the James Bond films when, you know, Judy Dench carried on Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, you know, it's a similar thing to that. I think there's, there's dates on screen in, in quite a few of the, the original ones. Um, I think the, I've got a feeling that even the first one is set in the early part of the 20th century, I can't quite remember. But yeah, so the opening sequence, the thing that bugs me about the opening sequence, and I love this movie unconditionally, which is why I can, I can dig into it, is we have Christopher Neem's ancestor arrive and gather up the, the ashes and put them in a nice little glass tube which would also fit a tartan drummer girl, and then he buries it. And I've, I've sat there the very first time I saw it, which was through the night in STV in the summer of 1991, when my folks away in holiday. Why didn't he just bring Dracula back there then on the spot? <laughs> That's what I wanted to know. I've never got an answer. But anyway, so, we have the funeral for the original, the original Dr. Van Helsing, and then we're slap bang, brought right up to date with the opening title sequence, which shows us many, many scenes and nice little montage, very dynamic score around contemporary London. So the music for this film, the majority of the score is produced by um, Mike Vickers, who is in Maverick Man. And I've actually met him, I think about mm. 99, a couple of years after the time, I actually sang with Paul Jones of Maverick Man at a Maverick Man gig, but I'll tell you that story in another podcast. Now, music is a massive part of the film. Did you know that it was originally planned that Rod Stewart and the Faces were the band that were they were trying to get hold of for the opening sequence at the party. Did you know that? You did? Yeah. I Kenny didn't know Bob. that. I, I'd read that somewhere. That. No. Can you imagine how different this film would have been instead in, instead of the stone ground if we'd had Rod Stewart? So, guys, this opening party sequence where we, we meet our cast of characters, I'd be fascinated to know what you both think about this. I thought this was, I mean, it's a fantastic sequence uh, for its awfulness. <laughs> and I think what is, what, I was watching this and I thought, Jesus, the producers of this show must have been well into the late middle age and they must have been really terrified of youth culture at this point because this was this was the this is what they thought of youth culture of the hippie movement 
they were anarchic, they were selfish, they were very, very badly behaved, they were a threat to the, the existing social order, and it was all bullshit, but that was that was the way that, that youth doctor was presented in the media at the time, so they probably were restricted in how they were, how it was portrayed in this film, because people had a set view, uh, the kind of people who would go and see this movie had a set view of hippie culture, and I, and I think it's incredibly paranoid and a bit, a bit silly, but it looks fantastic. Some of the dialogue is just wonderful in its awfulness. Yes, um, I think dialogue is, is is the best part of the film. My sister and I quote this movie at each other endlessly. <laughs> uh, Alison recently got some fancy Dracula AD nineteen seventy two nails done for Halloween, and one of you know, she had a couple of quote dialogue lines <laughs> drawn in her fingernails as as quotes. I mean, I love all the stuff about how the King's Road's crawling tonight and the the fuzz will never get through and all that. Kenny, what's your thoughts on the opening party sequence? Um, I agree with Tom. It's awful. It's awful. It's not and awful. The, it's it, I'm sorry. The, it's it's awful, and it, it's it's funny in its badness. It's, I say the dialogue is just so. It's just I say it's so middle-aged white men, and it's just never gonna catch on. And just as for the music, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I have to say, I absolutely. I may have mentioned on Twitter last night how I dislike Deacon Blue. I absolutely hate Rod Stewart just as much, so I'm glad he wasn't in it. So I, for one, welcome the appearance by Stoneground. <laughs> Stoneground. Um, I've, I've wanted a Kaiser Cement baseball cap ever since. No, I, I like this opening sequence because it sets up the the idea that our our characters are you know they're a bit out there, they're a bit a bit naughty. Billy Monroe has never looked better. We get the wonderful scene of um, Charles the Square phoning the police and. Michael, you know, Michael Kitchen, who had such a career later on, and Foyles War, I think he was in. He gets, he gets, you know, to do some naughty stuff. We're introduced to Stephanie Beecham, who of course plays the character of Jessica, who is Doctor Van Helsing's granddaughter. Now, shortly after the, the party sequence, we're introduced to Peter Cushing as, you know, the grandson of the original Doctor Van Helsing. I've never quite been able to square that the ages of everyone involved. He must have been either the. Um, the original Van Helsing who we meet in 1872 must have been very, very virile, or the Peter Cushing Van Helsing who we meet in 1972 must be very, very ancient. Guys, are you Cushing fans? 100% yes. Love him. Absolutely love him. I think he's just such an underrated actor, and I just wish that, obviously he's typecast and people think of him as being the horror actor, but you look at some of the other roles he's played, I mean, even in his last role in Biggles, which is execrable, dreadful film. That's but a Peter great Cushing movie. Is... What are you talking about? No. Don't like it, but no, I just I think Peter Cushing's great. I mean, particularly if you go back to like 1984, which I've only seen once, the BBC version. I really wish I had it in DVD, but I don't think it can be released because of rights or something like that. I just think what a great actor, and just absolutely love. I just love his voice, and of course his Doctor Who, as in Dr. Who, off of the movies. I think he's wonderful. He's got such a charm and warmth to him, and I absolutely love Peter Cushing. I just think you know he's just somebody who. You just wish you could sort of like you'd be the perfect grandfather sort of figure, wouldn't he? You'd just be somebody who you could grind his house. He'd give you a Werther's original, and his house would smell of old smoke, but he wouldn't smoke around you because he'd put his pipe away. That sort of—he's just very avuncular and grandfatherly, and I love him. He's—I um, I don't go in for having favourite actors really, but if I did, it would be Peter Cushing. I mean, he's the one actor who I would love to have met. Uh, you know, when you do these fantasy dinner party games, Peter Cushing would always be. And my guest list, I just think he is—he's wonderful. He—he he steals every scene he's in, 
I mean, that's why one of my favourite films is the original Star Wars. Not Star Wars A New Hope, but Star Wars, released in 1977. And Cushing is just wonderful in that. Um, even though it's spoiled a little bit to know that when he was doing his whole confrontation with Princess Leia, he was actually wearing his slippers because he's, the boots that they gave him were too <laughs> tight to wear. And he just, he has, he's just wonderful. I mean, and, and this series did well. I was going to say it, it, it lost a bit for not having him in it between Brides of Dracula and and Dracula 8072. And we'll come back to talking, I hope, about the, the, all the Dracula films and where this fits in it and, and, you know, what that series of films actually were about. But, you know, any Hammer, basically any Hammer film is improved by having Peter Cushing in it. And a lot of the Dracula films didn't have it, and that's a shame. Yeah, he's, he's undoubtedly my favourite actor. Significant, and I think often overlooked, is he was the only the second actor ever to play Doctor Who. And I think, you know, admittedly it's in films, it's not the same continuity, but I think it, it often, I think he deserves a bit more credit for that than he gets. I have a dedicated Peter Cushing shelf, which always has all these films, which I've got, I've managed to put together, which didn't include, you know, his Hammer films, because they're all on a, a separate shelf. Yeah, I mean, the content, it's, the, you know, they made a, they did make a sequel to this one called the, the Satanic Rites of Dracula, which came out the following year, which I think is enormous fun and a, a, a brilliant film. We can maybe even find a way to talk about that one day, maybe ever. And then, of course, the one they made after that was completely throws the continuity out the window because um, that's the legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. It's impossible to reconcile these movies into any kind of. It's a bit like the late of the X Men film. You just have to take each one as they come. At this point, so, um, we should, at this point, let's reassure listeners that there will never be a point where we talk about the legend of the seven golden vampires. <laughs> I love. It is genuinely that is genuinely one of the worst films ever made, and I, I only watched it, and I watched it quite recently because I wanted to be able to say that I've seen all of the, right, you know, all the Hammer, mm. Dracula films. I have rarely seen anything so bad in my life. Just <laughs> no redeeming features. Even Cushing couldn't save that. It was just <laughs> appalling. Amazing. Of course, I completely disagree. I think it's great. But hey, you know, it doesn't really matter if we disagree. Shortly after we meet the, I always call him the Doctor. <laughs> so shortly after we meet Professor Van Helsing, there's the outrageous sequence when Dracula gets resurrected. We get the the nice sort of um setup of the when we when they look at um. The original Van Helsing's gravestone and find out that he died a hundred years earlier that day. And as, as a treat for myself, my birthday last year, immediately before lockdown kicked in, I was down in London for the day, which I usually do, and I went to see Dracula AD 1972 at the cinema. I can't remember the street that it, oh, it's gone right in my head, the name, it doesn't matter, it'll come back to me. So I saw it on the big screen and it was like literally like seeing it for the first time because Cushing has never seen more intense. Jessica's never seemed so bratty, and Christopher Neem had never seemed so fruity. Guys, can we talk about Johnny Alucard? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, I'll contextualise this. The first time I saw this film, it probably, it would have been a through the night STV screening. It definitely wouldn't have been 1991, but it would have been after that. Right. And I think that I may have had some amphetamines in my system. All so right. I watched this and Quite frankly, I absolutely hated it and thought this was one of the worst things I had ever seen. <laughs> because I just thought, this is not what Dracula's about. I like my gothic horror. I like Dracula back in back in his castle, that kind of stuff, back in Transylvania. And, you know, so watching this was quite interesting as I don't, I don't remember actually watching it since then. But the thing that I really remembered first time around was Christopher Neem. And I just thought he was by far, of, of all the new characters introduced, apart from a couple who I'll come back to later on, 
I thought he was fantastic. I really like him. I thought he's just got that sort of arch camp of villainy that you perhaps wouldn't expect in a Hammer film, but you would definitely get in a, perhaps almost in a confessions of a window cleaner kind of thing, because the film very much has that kind of feel and look to it with the contemporary streets and things like that, buses going by. And it did, you know, so you do wonder, is Robin Asquith round the corner? But Christopher Green for me, I thought was great. Really enjoyed him and you know, loved him as Skagra. And of course, when he shows up in Licence to Kill as well. But yeah, I, I really like Johnny Alucard. Obviously his name is rather obvious to work out as to where it's been derived from because it's self-explanatory if you read it backwards. Yes. But I really like Christopher Neiman. I thought he was fab in this. Just when you're Tom. talking about his, when you're talking about his name, Johnny Alucard. Do you think there were anyone in the cinema in 1972 who were watching this and when he was revealed as being a relation of, of Dracula or, or, or whatever, you know, that he's, oh, his name is Dracula Bankers. Did anyone in the cinema go, oh, wow, I, I didn't realise that. There's well, a film. Put in context, Tom, they may well have all been stoned, so they may not have yeah, worked out. Uh, Gordon, going by the production team, they may not have expected people to see it. There's a film called Son of Dracula starring Lon Chaney Jr. as Dracula. Uh, actually, not as the son of Dracula. It's called the son of Dracula, but John Lon Chaney actually plays Dracula and he doesn't have a son in it, so there we are. And it was made in 1943, and he goes through half the film as Count Alucard. And it even goes to the point where the people tracking him down actually write the word Dracula on a bit of paper and then draw lines, you know, to, to let the audience know that this is Dracula back. Brilliant. Uh, honestly, 1943, it was a tough time for all of us. Yeah. But, you know, Dracula 1972 was nearly 30 years later and we're still expected to be surprised that Alucard is yeah. Dracula backwards. I, I love it when, yeah. the, when Cushing, you know, Van Helsing meticulously writes out Dracula, immaculate, you know, yeah. block after lesson and spells it out. And then has a scene where he tells Michael Cole's Inspector Murray, you know, incidentally, if you write his name backwards, it spells Dracula. And it's, I think it's, it's joyous. It's absolutely hilarious. One of the funniest things in the whole film. Let's talk now about Michael Coles as Inspector Murray. I think he's the, probably, apart from the opening sequence and apart from Cushing himself, I think he's the best thing in the film. It's almost like he's flown in from another series or another movie, because the, the scenes where he has to kind of try and rationalise everything that's going on, you know, there's allusions to the to Charles Manson and all that sort of stuff through it, which is, you know, really sets up the contemporary sort of setting. What did you think of Michael Coles and, and, his, and his cool sergeant? To be honest, when I made my notes, I didn't write down anything about him. I just thought, really? oh, it's just a generic 70s cop. Oh my didn't, God. Didn't make any impression on me whatsoever. This and has I, been a complete I waste saw, of time. I saw it less than uh, six months ago. I, I don't remember him. Really? You yeah. both disappoint me hugely. Sorry. Oh, well, we'd better move on then. What do you think of Stephanie <laughs> Beecham as, um, as, his, as Van Helsing's granddaughter? The big question about this film is, who makes the best Jessica, her or Joanna Lumley? Definitely Stephanie Beecham. And just for those who people who have not seen the Satanic mm -hmm. Rites of Dracula, the same role of Jessica in the next film is played by Joanna Lumley, not by Stephanie Beecham. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh -huh. Have you Do seen I, a I Satanic like Rites I have, not in a long time, but, but I remember I thinking, think... Joe Lumley, yeah. But uh, I think Stephanie Beecham makes more of an impression here. In fact, she actually, her chest deserves its own credit, given uh, <laughs> yes. the close-up of it on a number of occasions. Yeah. Um, particularly that sleazy bit where she's lying down and the guy's running his hands over her, when, which is further on in the film. But uh, but I thought she was really good. I thought she was quite, you know, starts off nice and bratty and um, 
and she I think as she has a, to use the phrase a character journey as it goes on and um, I think she's I, I found myself warming to her very very quickly yeah that's that's probably fair I mean she's very petulant very huffy but in, of course by the time of the second the second film they made in this sort of sequence you know the following year she's as clued up as as Cushing almost and um has obviously learned from this whole experience so there's an awful lot of police procedural stuff which takes up the middle of the film which is, astonishes me that neither of you <laughs> took anything it bored me that. quite frankly well, there is a there is a, there's a more to, pertinent to, to walk away right now there's a more it pertinent point to davy sorry to interrupt yeah. but um I'm, are you going to mention the highgate vampire no because according to wiki this is what the story of drag lady 1972 was actually based on right. the highgate vampire was a media sensation surrounding reports of supposed supernatural activity at Highgate Cemetery in London in the 1970s. A group of young people interested in the occult visited the cemetery in the late 1960s, a time when it was being vandalised by intruders, according to a report in the London Evening News of the 2nd of November 1968. On the night of Halloween 1968, a graveyard desecration by persons unknown occurred at Tottenham Park Cemetery. These persons arranged flowers taken from graves in circular patterns with arrows of blooms pointing to a new grave which was uncovered. A coffin was opened and the body inside disturbed, in quotation marks. But their most macabre act was driving an iron stake in the form of a cross through the lid and into the breast of the corpse. Mm. So there we are. That's where all that whole thing came from about the abandoned church. And I, I did my research just looking at the, the Hammer book by Marcus Hearn, Alan Barnes, and there's no, no mention of that in there. Yeah. I was just taking a film in its own terms, but that's interesting. After all the police procedural stuff, we finally have a scene where Dr Van Helsing, or Professor Van Helsing, confronts Johnny Alucard and takes him out after, you know, the inevitable list of ways of taking out a vampire, and then he confronts Dracula in the ruined church and dispatches him in a pit of stakes as well. Guys, what do you think of the, of the two vampire dispatch scenes which one was your favorite what do you think Definitely of the first back with its with its funky bass soundtrack let me say something about the way dracula dispatched because up until now what was wonderful about the hammer dracula films is that they would come up with some really bizarre ways of killing dracula and there's always a scene in every dracula film where van helsing is talking or somebody is talking about the ways to dispatch a vampire and there's always one way that you didn't expect to be in there. And yes. that's the one that they kill him with, right? Not yeah. actually in AD72, but it works, this formula works with all the other films. So, and in, 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 in AD72 as well, because obviously he lists the running water aspect in that. Yeah, thing, that's right. Well, it, so, take, yeah. take for example, in, in Dracula Prince of Darkness, when uh, Father Sandor is saying, oh yes, daylight, the crucifix, holy water, running water, uh, yeah. and somebody goes, what, running? What did you just say? Oh, run, yeah, don't worry about that. And then, could lo you and behold... Could you just pee in Dracula then? Well, yeah, you probably could. Although I don't think I'd go and see that one. Um, uh, uh, and the and Vampire takes on a new meaning now. The same happens with the, the satanic rites of Dracula, uh, when they're going through the list, and he adds in the, the Hawthorne, the Hawthorne Thorn, or whatever it is. And That's see, right, yes. The, and, 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 and nobody in the scene says, wait, what? But what, what bugged me about Dracula's death in 1972 is... He's stumbling isn't listed as one of the things that kills <laughs> vampires, right? And the reason Dracula gets killed is because he stumbles, he falls over his own feet and falls into a grave uh, where, where Van Helsing's put a stake in it. It's really uh, anticlimactic. 
Yeah, so I prefer the Johnny Alucard death. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, it's wait, almost wait, like wait. a bit more of a, an emphasis in some ways there. Yeah, sorry. Well, well also, I was going to say that the, the Johnny Alucard one is is a pratfall. It's 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 like a Three Stooges death. He kills himself. He accidentally switches on the bloody shower, and, <laughs> and you know, like Van Helsing might as well be standing there saying, "I don't have to be here, do I?" <laughs> <laughs> So I think they're both, they yep. both have their faults, but the, the Johnny Alucard yeah. one is slightly more entertaining. Yeah. I, I well, completely agree. I think I think that it's uh, it's quite, it almost brings a sort of an, er, an element of carry on screaming to yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. In a way. Um, yeah. So, and effectively, all that really been missing with Dracula was him tripping over his own cape or something yeah. like that. Well, he's, he's, he's um, had some water thrown in his face and, and all that before. And one thing that's interesting, actually, about Cushing and the I keep on. <laughs> no, it's Van Helsing. The Van Helsing and Dracula confrontation is it's one of these times when Christopher Lee manages to get one line of dialogue from the book in, which is the line about commanding nations, which is nicely managed to do that. So with Dracula Dispatch, Phil Men's Rest and Final Peace. Gentlemen, what are your what are your final thoughts? Is there anything we haven't covered that you want do you, do you want to say about it? But you know what really disappointed me? I was expect I thought you know I think if they were doing it now, there'd be some wonderful dialogue wonderful, almost melodramatic dialogue between Dracula and Van Helsing, as their exchanges are far too brief for me. Always I are. find that just really strange. And I, I, mean, I was are. hoping for they a bit more. The other thing also that struck me was that, although it's Dracula in 1972, we don't get to, you know, those, you know, like an Adam Adamant moment where he's looking at the world around him to see how it's changed, because mm-hmm. I think that would have been yeah. really, really good. Yeah. Just yeah. to have him, you know, sort yeah. of, Almost, you know, like flying over London at night, looking down over it and going, what weird world or what strange yeah, world yeah. do I find myself in now? And something like that. And I thought that was something that was missing. Because I no, thought That's absolutely I mean, right. Because he spends his whole time basically cooped up in the church. <clears throat> it could be yeah. any time at all. Yeah, that's one of Christopher Lee's sort of often voiced criticisms was that he got very little to do. You mentioned earlier um, Caroline Monroe as Laura Bellows. Absolutely amazing. She looks stunning. And you can see why... She went on to have the, the career she did as a glamorous lady. And of course, she did have her Doctor Who connection. She appeared in Omega, the big finish story, and was going to be the companion in the 1980s movie that never really happened. Interesting. I think, you know, I enjoy Drag 72, but there is absolutely no doubt. You can tell watching each of the, the Dracula films in sequence gives you a pretty good idea about the trajectory of the studio itself. You know, from the, from the beautiful just just stunning cinematography and design of, of 1958's Dracula. And by the time you get to 1972, you know, it's the, the franchise and the studio are on their last legs. Yes. You can tell. And, and and I think the only thing that stops 8072 being the worst of the Hammer films, of the Dracula films to date, to that date, is the fact that it was preceded by Scars of Dracula which is really pretty bad. And they had run out of ideas of how to kill Dracula by the end of that. They decided to give him a totally random um, electric shock through a lightning bolt. And I do wonder, obviously the answer to this is money, by the way, but I was going to say, I do wonder what on earth possessed Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing to come back, uh, especially Lee, who, who starred in all of them apart from Brides. He must have looked at these scripts and hung his head and, and his hands, but I guess they yeah, must have been doing well. Yeah, I think he did. I mean, it's, it's well documented that each time they kind of had to, you know, take him for lunch and, you know, if that's an euphemism or what, I don't know, and, and persuade him. I mean, I think in the case of Cushing, this was very soon after, obviously, his wife had died. So he was, it's well documented that he just threw, him in, threw himself into his work yeah. and made everything possible. And he's, 
I like this film. I'm very, very, very aware of its faults. But for me, it's you know, it's been said elsewhere. I think it gets more entertaining the further away it gets from 1972. I mean, I first saw it in 1991, and it was absolutely hilarious. But it, it kind of kicked off my real hammer sort of dedication, sort of fascination in a way. You know, the further away we get from 72, the the, the funnier it gets with all the talk about Dracula bringing his own pot and the jazz spectacular at the Albert Hall and, you know, and J- Jessica's list of things that she's not doing, which baffles her grandfather. No, I, th- I mean, I you mentioned Scars of Dracula. I find Scars of Dracula almost unwatchable because it's yeah. so viscerally unpleasant, very, very nasty. And I think this one has a bit more charm, maybe ironic sort of charm, maybe it wasn't intended. I, th- I don't think, it's, I don't think it's, it's the worst of the movies. I think it's vastly, it's very, very entertaining. Whether or not it's, it's good or not is, is something else entirely. But I think it's it's great fun. There's some lines that Van Helsing gets, and I think there's sort of, here's, it seems very strange to hear Peter Cushing saying some words, and I think they're sort of, you know, like um, sex and drugs related, and just think, hmm, that's not the sort of thing that I always have Peter Cushing saying in my head. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's, I suppose that's them trying to make it contemporary. And as Tom said, that they were, you know, the studio was, was struggling by that point. They were already, you know, in some cases, farming the, the, the films out to be made by other companies. They were, they were basically taking what any money they could get. I think their particular style of horror film had become outdated by then, you know, because obviously George Romero had made Night of the Living Dead by that point, which was, you know, a completely different thing from, you know, busty Victorian ladies being terrorised by, by monsters. So, I mean, it's, um, I think it was a brave attempt to try and... I, I, I like 8072. I, I actually do prefer the Satanic Rites because I think it's got a really interesting idea at the centre of it. But once again, the Satanic Rites, you know, you've got you've had fantastically gruesome endings to Dracula in the past. And in the end of Satanic Rites, the very last one that, that Christopher appears in, he gets his coat caught in a bush. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not a suitable ending for the Prince no. of Darkness. I think there was a script for another one. I think they, they did originally ask him to do Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, but he didn't. So they got um very wise judgment. I can't even remember the guy's name to no. turn up for the one scene where Dracula's involved. We'll probably never talk about, as we say, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires on this. No, we won't. Podcast, but it's great fun. I'm a fan. Right, Ken, you've got something else to say. Why is that? So, listeners, that's been our little chat about Dracula AD nineteen seventy two. Do let us know what you think of the film. Messages on Twitter. Power of Three Pod. Thank you for listening. Check out the Earth Two podcast if, if you have the inclination. I've been David Steele. See you, Cheerio Tom. Right, folks. Um, thanks for listening. Um, and uh, you know, if you hear a, a sound in the middle of the night, don't worry. It's probably just an intruder about to kill you. <laughs> yes. Don't have nightmares, listeners. Kenny, say goodbye to the nice listeners. Goodbye to the nice listeners and to the horrible ones you can get to. Kenny, do you have any podcasts that you want to plug? Uh, yes, I'd like to plug Pieces of the Eight, which is the world's only eighth Doctor dedicated podcast. You can find out more about it at Pieces of Eight on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, listeners. We'll see you again very soon. All best now. See you.